Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of Interesting Stuff. The podcast is about nothing really has nobody on it. I uh, didn't do the theme music this week. I do that sometimes. I'll forget. I forgot this time. Actually, it's not that I forgot. I'm just too lazy to go upstairs, grab my laptop, come back down and play the name theme song. I know I can like put it into this recording stuff where you can like add and save it and all that stuff, but I don't know how to do all that crap. So the way I do it is I have my recording studio, which is this phone, and then I have my laptop, which has the theme music on it, and I play the theme music and do all that crap. So I'm too lazy to do it this week. But anyways, how's everybody doing this week, man? Coming off that 4th of July weekend, I hope everybody's had you know had a good week. I hope everybody's had fun. Everything's going good. Let me tell you, man, my air conditioner, I live in Alabama. It's summertime. My air conditioner's been out for like two weeks, right? Two weeks. I don't know jack about air conditioners. I never learned about them, none of that stuff. I looked up a bunch of stuff on YouTube. A buddy of mine, Will, shout out to you, Will. We, you know, he looked up a ton of stuff on YouTube. And we went out when it first went down and, you know, checked everything, checked the capacitors, you know, everything on that air conditioner, we checked it. So we came to the conclusion, which to us seemed logical, that um, it was out of Freon. So I called a couple of heat and air places, like five of them, and all five of them backed up for a couple of weeks. Again, it's Alabama. It's summertime. People's ACs are breaking down. Everybody's booked. So I get a hold of this one guy, and uh, he comes out. Five minutes, he got fixed. It was a bad capacitor on the damn thing. Even though it read good when we checked it, it was still bad. He swapped that. I mean, came with the part in his hand. All I had done was talk to him on the phone. He diagnosed it over the phone, came out here, little part, 10 minutes, AC works again. So thank you, John Morrow, Heat and Air Conditioning. You guys kicked butt. It was $70. That's it, 70 bucks. Not only did he come out and replace the part on it, but normal, you know, just service fee for him, come out and look at it, $55. So he came out, did that, and filled it up with Freon for $70. I can't say enough good things about him. So if anybody out there lives in the area that I live in, which is around Gadsden, Alabama, and you have heating and air problems, call John Morrow. Uh, I don't have his phone number with me right now. That would have probably been useful. Uh, I'll put another uh, podcast. I'll put in next week's podcast. Uh, but dude's awesome, man. I mean, absolutely awesome. Uh, it looks like we're going to get more rain here. We've been getting a lot of rain this summer, man. I mean, a lot. Usually by this time, usually down here, you know, April, March, and uh, a little bit of May are pretty wet. Then by mid-May, it starts drying up, and you get scattered showers here and there. Our really, really dry time is, you know, like middle of July through beginning of September. We haven't had a dry spell yet, really. It has rained and rained and rained. Which, you know, helps with the heat as long as it rains consistently. Because the bad thing about down here with the humidity, if it rains for like 20 minutes, after that rain goes away and that sun comes back out, you're friggin' dying. And I've lived, you know, in the South most of my life. You know, I grew up, you know, around the Memphis area. And, uh, you know, friggin', um, you know, had the Army time, of course, but, you know, most of my time being alive, not being in the military, I've lived in the South. And, you know, I'm used to heat. I'm used to humidity. Ain't none worse than those little 
20 second, 20 minute rain showers, then the sun comes out, it's friggin' melting you. You know, what was that one movie? I can't remember what the name of it was. I can, you know, it's one of those things I can see it in my head. You know, oh, I was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You remember when the guy drinks from the, you know, the bad guy drinks from the friggin' chalice and, you know, his face melts and all that stuff. That's what you feel like down here after it does that. You walk outside, you're melting. It's awful. It is horrible. But anyways, man, <clears throat> other than not having the AC working, stuff like that, you know, past couple of weeks been eventful. Pretty good for the most part. You know, anytime you're on this side of the dirt, it's a good day. But let's get in some talking here. There's this guy, uh, Alex something on Facebook. It's If you look him up on Facebook, look up Hip Hop Guy Reviews Metal, Reacts to Metal. You'll see him. Alex something is his name. And uh, this dude is hilarious, right? He's a guy that mainly listens hip hop. You know, he'll re- he's getting to where he's listening to some hard rock, heavy metal. And uh, the dude is absolutely hilarious, absolutely hilarious. I watched a couple of them last night. You know, watched uh, him review Rooster by uh, Allison Chains. He reviewed Pantera, who he said was his favorite metal band. He reviewed Walk with them. Then he reviewed uh, Cult of Personality. And anyone who knows music, man, that song, the guitar work in that song, some of the most iconic guitar work ever. Vernon Reed is the guy, the guy's name for Living Color, the guitarist. That dude is an absolute genius. And anyone who's heard the song, you know, you know that song as soon as it opens up with that riff. It's just incredible. You know, this dude's eyes when he heard it were like mine when I was like 12 and I heard it the first time. Yeah, he was blown away by it. And, uh, yeah, I can't blame him. That song still is just absolutely incredible, you know. And I play guitar. I call myself playing guitar. I'm not really a great guitarist, but I do play guitar a little bit. That's one of those songs you just want to break your guitar after you're done, break your fingers, because you'll never be able to freaking do it. And I've tried I look up tablature on it a couple of times, and it's like, okay, how hard can this be? It's harder than what you think it'll be. It is just mind-blowingly good. But check that dude out on you know YouTube. I'm telling you, it's hilarious. He's got some good insights, and he picks some good songs. You know, give him a shout out. You know, see uh, see if he can do one that you like or whatever. So, what are y'all's plans for the weekend? I ain't really got any. I don't really have any. I guess I need to be, you know, appropriate. I'm broadcasting here. So, you know, maybe I need to get rid of the accent and try to speak properly or whatever. You know, a lot of people don't like the uh, the accent. That's fine. I don't really give a shit. This is my accent. This way I talk. And I'm proud to be from part of the country I'm from. And I'll never change it. I heard Lucas Black one time make an interview about that and said he'd never change his accent for a movie. And I agree with him on that. Yeah, I, I love our accent. I like the way we talk, and I'm going to stick with it. But sometimes it gets me. Sometimes Because, like, the Memphis accent isn't quite as pronounced. Certain words are, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, ironically, like, if you hear somebody say ice in Memphis, most times it's ice. I don't do that. But Alabama's got a different accent to it. That's the thing about South. There's no real one Southern accent. There's 
every region's got a dialect of accent. And I've really picked up on, you know, the Alabama, I guess what you would call central Alabama accent, you know, and uh, I like it. I don't mind it a bit, but it sometimes it dawns on me, you know, how thick my accent can get sometimes. And I don't really still even have a thick accent. When I first came in, I did, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine that I was stationed in Korea with, backtrack on that story a little bit. When we were in Korea, this would be 95, 96. I can't remember. I think it was early 96. But his family had sent him a camcorder. That's how we used to do recordings back then is on an actual handheld video camera that had a tape in it. And his family sent him one so that, you know, he could send like, you know, greetings back for the holidays and all that stuff. And we took it and uh, we filmed around the little camp that we were stationed at, which is Camp Stanley, Korea. And, uh, you know, it was so weird. Well, actually, I need to fast forward in the story a little bit. Anyway, man, I'm mixing my story all up. But anyways, we filmed that. We forgot about it for years. And uh, he was going through his mom's attic a couple of years ago and found the videotape that we did. And uh, he took it to uh, CVS, had them make it, you know, onto a DVD and all that stuff. And he sent me a copy of it. And it was so cool because, like, I'm looking back in time. This is the 1990s. There's a big Nirvana poster on the wall, all that stuff, right? And it was so cool to see those little, you know, snippets in time of 90s culture. You know, Bret Hart at one point is on TV in the day room wrestling because we would be able to watch on AFN. They played uh, – forgot what it was called but they play a wwf show on saturdays the only wrestling we could watch so we watched that bret hart's in the ring you know uh just all that stuff but the biggest thing stuck out to me you know out of everything and it was so cool was how thick my accent was back then yeah i've been in the army by that point by uh, what was it two years three years yeah i was like two, three years at that point that I've been in the army and, uh, my accent was still so thick, you know, I couldn't, it, it was like a different person. And plus I was a lot littler, you know, back then my whole army career, I was like between 150, 160 pounds. You know, when I first came in, I was like, you know, 150, most of the time I was uh, holding up about 155, 160, you know, now I'm quite a bit bigger than that. And it's not muscle. I wish I could say it was, it's not unless you include table muscle. In that case, yeah, I'm table muscled up. I'm like on steroids as far as table muscle goes. But, um, you know, so little. That was the first thing that stuck out. I was like, damn, I was tiny. And then it's like, oh, my God, my accent is so strong. You know? I mean, just strong, strong. I was like, oh, my God. You know, some of that stuff can't even understand what I'm saying. But it was a really cool thing, and, you know, I've talked to Greg about it. I've thought about posting on YouTube. I might do it one day. I might just post it up and, you know, let it go from there. Because it is a really cool little thing. It's just, you know, like we're cussing a, a little bit in that. And, yeah, I mean, it's obviously you're a bunch of young, young guys in your late teens, early 20s. I'm still in my late teens at that point. I hadn't even turned 20 yet. And you're on your own for the first time. 
and uh, you know you've got that bravado and all that crap going on. It was just so damn immature. Number one, you know, and number two, the accent was just like, oh my god. And the other thing that gets me is you know how narrow minded we were. To be honest with you, we were very narrow minded. We complained all the time, and soldiers do that. Soldiers complain, especially young ones. You complain, and when you go from living in the United States to going to a place like Korea, you don't really have the mental capacity, a lot of us don't at least, I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of us don't have the mental capacity to appreciate the opportunity that we have. You know, I mean, frigging Korea, you know, whole different, I mean, completely different kind of culture. I'm on the other side of the world. No one I went to high school with is in Korea right now. No one's ever been to Korea. Probably couldn't even find it on a map, but I'm here. And a lot of times, instead of appreciating that, all you do is whine, gripe, complain. Oh, God, I miss the States. I miss And naturally, you're going to miss the States. You're going to miss your family and all that stuff. But you don't really sit down and value the opportunity you've been given at that point, you know, and, you know, and immerse yourself in the culture and, you know, all that stuff. I would later on get a lot better at it. This was January. I think I got to Korea in like October of uh, 95. So this would have been like Jan- early January 96. I'd been in country for a couple of months <clears throat> and most of that time was spent in the field. Back then, I don't know what it's like now, but back then, if you went to Korea, and you were second infantry division, unless you were Camp Hovey. Camp Hovey kind of always did its own thing. You know, when I was there, it seems like Hovey was mainly medical and like uh, transportation, stuff like that. Uh, for the other camps in second infantry division, you know, it you there was a lot of field time back then, a lot of field time. You probably spent about half to three quarters of your tour, depending on what your MOS was and what camp you were at in the field. And when I got there to, to Stanley, I started off in Greaves, actually. I was only there for a little bit, and it was a mix-up on the Army's part, and they sent me to Camp Stanley. But um, when I got to Stanley, I was with the Air Defense Artillery, and, um, you know, we were in the field a lot. I was there when the North Korean pilot defected with the Air Defense Artillery Unit. We got called to alert. We had to, you know, and it really showed you how – cool and how well the army system worked because i'm telling you when we got the call that the guy was leaving north korea and was going to fly across you know into south korea it took us no time at all to go up to the aha which is the ammo holding area draw ammo for you know our personal weapons and our cruiser weapons and the uh, avengers the avenger is a humvee with a pod on the back of it and that pod is capable of shooting eight stinger missiles so we got the missiles, we got all that stuff, had our guys in position waiting all up and down the peninsula. You know, by the time he crossed that DMZ, we were ready for him. You know, he would leave one, you know, Avengers field of fire and cross into another Avengers field of fire. It was amazing to see how quickly we got, you know, ramped up, ammo drawn, everything ready to go going and a lot of that was because as a rapid deploy unit we left a lot of our stuff on the trucks the nets were always left on the trucks you know a lot of the tents were left on the trucks 
everything was packed up so that we could leave in a moment's notice. You, you always had a bag packed in your room, you know, of your field stuff. So all you had to do was, you know, draw weapons, go down to your room, put your happy gear on, which means your LBE or LCE back then. This is before the LBE really caught on. But you put your LCE on, put your Kevlar on, you know, run down, grab, you know, your weapon, get your ammo, jump in the vehicle, head out. You're already ready to go. Really, really cool, you know. And um, buying, remember all that stuff. And later, as my tour progressed and we were getting off time, I would go to like Seoul, and I love Seoul. Seoul, I don't know, again, I don't know what it's like now, but 20 years, 20, God, more than 20 years ago now. Oh, my God, I'm getting so old. Uh, back then, 25 years ago, Seoul was awesome. I mean, you could go and check out everything from a, like, ancient Korean village. You know, they had this uh, thing. I don't remember where it was, but it was in Seoul. It wasn't far from the bridge. And uh, it was like this little Korean village, and it, you know, had, like, people living the way they lived a thousand years ago and stuff. And a lot of history about Korea and stuff like that. It's the first time I ever heard of, you know, any really, any of the, excuse me, any of their history, you know, was from that village. And I wish I remember more. I wish I still had the pamphlets from it, but it was fascinating. But you could do that. You could go to an upscale restaurant, and you could order whatever kind of food you wanted. Now, granted, Korean food, naturally, you're in Korea, was the most popular. And I love Korean food. Korean Chinese food is kind of similar. I'm not into, like, Japanese food or Thai food. They're too spicy. Chinese food uh, Chinese food and uh, Korean food, you know, a lot of it tends to be more mild. And I dig that. I love it. There's nothing better than bipagogi, rice, bipagogi, and noodles. I love it. Me and my wife, when we were on a honeymoon last year, went up to Springfield, Missouri, and uh, it's the first time she ever had bagogi of any kind. And uh, we got chicken bagogi, uh, pork to, uh, gagogi, and uh, beef gagogi at this little Korean restaurant. And, you know, the rice came with it and everything. Oh, my God, it was so good. Oh, my God, it was so, brought back so many memories. And while we were there, this couple was sitting next to us, right, at another table. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. They heard us talking about we we're on a honeymoon. They bought us a bottle of soju, you know, for our, you know, wedding present. They didn't even know us. And we had a couple of shots with them. I don't drink much at all. But for that situation, I had to take a couple of shots because they were kind enough to buy us a bottle of soju. And, uh, you know, very unintrusive also. When they bought it, they didn't even tell us they were buying it for us. The, you know, waitress came up and handed us a bottle of soju and there, and she was like, you know, it's from the couple next to you. So we thanked them and, you know, we invited them over for a couple of shots. We took our shots with them, talked for a couple of minutes. They, you know, wished us the very best and left. It was just a great interaction. But that bagogi just had so many memories. It reminded me of being like in Seoul and Itaewon, the Itaewon area of Seoul, which was an area that a lot of us young GIs went to. You had like Places that made clothes, you had places, you know, bars, of course, restaurants, all that stuff in that area. Uh, and you could, you know, of course, for us back then, you know, you're a young GI. The only thing you're really worried about is I'm going to get plastered and I'm going to, you know, find a lady. That's just kind of being young. 
at that point in time, <clears throat> if I go back, I change a lot of things. But even with my narrow mindedness back then, which was basically focused on bars and food, you know, they had the uh, Korean War Museum, which was fascinating. Uh, Seoul itself is a beautiful town. That village I was telling you about had a couple other things that were just really cool that we would check out. Latte World. I don't know if it's still open or not. They had this little place called Latte Burger. It was like Korean barbecue burger. Korean barbecue is excellent, by the way. If you get a chance to try it, do so. But it was like a little Korean barbecue burger. And it was a whole fast food chain of them. And they were huge. They had this, like, set an amusement park, you know, Latte World. And we went there. Uh, just fun stuff, man. Great times. But all that being said, wrapping back around to the original kind of topic, whatever, you know, I look back at that guy that I see on that tape from 20 years ago, and I think, man, he had a good time, but he could have done so much more there, man. There's so much see and do. And, uh, you know, it's just really cool. And like I said, I've thought about putting on, you know, YouTube. I might talk to, you know, the only other guy who's in the video that I'm still in touch with, the guy who sent it to me. I might talk to him. Greg Kowinski's his name. And I might talk to him and see if he'd mind if I put it up on YouTube and, you know, just kind of shared it. But God, we were so immature. So it's kind of embarrassing, especially me. I was so damn embarrassing on that video. I was just obviously just, oh my God, looking, you know, trying to act cool. And you can't act cool. You either are or you're not. Back then, I was not. I was not a cool guy. I was trying to be a cool guy. I was obviously not a cool guy. You know, just so bad. It was horrible. And I'm sure everybody out there has got a videotape or some stories and stuff like that that are the same, you know. And if you do, let me know, man. Hit me up in, you know, DMs at Caesar Podcast on Twitter and at Interesting Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up there, man. Send me an email. You know, DM me on Twitter. Let me know uh, what your embarrassing stories are. If you're military, let me know some stories, period, man. You know, I love talking to other veterans. And it's not because, you know, we're better than everybody else. No. I joined the Army at 17, and from 17 to 32, it was a huge part of my life. That was my life. And, you know, getting out the military. And again, I can't speak for today because I don't know. I've been out for a long time, but when I was in being on a military installation and being in the military, was a completely different world than being a civilian. It was like you lived in two worlds. You know, you go visit the civilian world when you got off duty and it was so weird and it was so different than what we lived on post, you know, from army people, this is how it works. When army people talk, we will say back at camp or we'll say back on post. We never say base. A military uh, army installation can be a fort, a camp, you know, a post. That's what we've got. We don't have bases in the army. Bases are for the other branches. You know, we don't do those. But back on post, you know, it was its own little world. You had your own movie theater, your own library. You know, your own bowling alley, everything you needed. Grocery store, which called the commissary, PX, shop ads, which are like convenience stores. You had everything that you needed. Fire department, police department, the whole nine yards. It's all a self-contained city. And even bars, you know, you had bars on post. So 
you could stay on a post and even a post as small as like Camp Stanley. Camp Stanley was only maybe a mile by a mile, maybe two miles by two miles, somewhere around there. But we had all that stuff on that camp. You know, movie theater, PX, they had a little burger bar where you could go get food, Anthony's Pizza and all that stuff. Anthony's Pizza, I've read recently, is, you know, the AFES isn't going to, you know, renew the contract or something. That's a huge loss, man. Anthony's Pizza, I'm saying it right now. You know, you either love it or you hate it. I friggin' love it. Anthony's was good, greasy friggin' pizza that you could have delivered and, you know, eat. And it was just friggin' phenomenal. So hearing that AFES might be breaking their working agreement with them, I feel bad for the young Joes out there because that's a part of, especially Army, you know, history. You have Robin Hood sandwiches at the PX, which I never did care for, but Robin Hood sandwiches and, you know, Anthony's Pizza. And then you always had a Burger King on a bigger installation and or a Popeye's on a bigger installation, at least back then. I don't know what they do now. Back then, that was the four big ones. You know, again, Camp Stanley was so small, we didn't have any anything but Anthony's. We didn't have Burger King, none of that stuff. No Popeye's. We had to go to uh, Camp uh, Casey to get Popeye's. And uh, they had a Burger King Casey, too. So if you want Burger King or Popeye's, you had to go to Camp Casey. But we had Anthony's Pizza, by gosh. And uh, it was freaking awesome. Just, I feel bad. And, you know, looking back at Camp Stanley, Stanley had, like, just such a cool layout. You know, I was in a band there, man. Me and a couple of guys, one one or uh, it was one guy from my unit, a couple of guys from another unit, because we had a rec center there. And they had actual rooms. You could rent instruments, you could rent a room, and you could play. And we had a little band going. We weren't very good. We could have been, I think, but, you know, Two of us, me and the guy from my unit, were so much younger, and we just weren't focused on stuff, you know? The other two guys were a lot better and a lot more serious musicians than we were. We had another guy, too, because we had a bassist. I was the vocalist. We had two guitarists and a drummer, and I can't remember their names, save my life. We were only together for maybe a month or two, you know? And then, you know, people start. Because the thing about Korea is you get two or a big influx once a year. And then you also get a big drawdown. You know, you get a lot of people that come in and you're overstaffed for a bit. And that makes up for it because then you get understaffed when all these other people PCS back to the States. So it's kind of crazy, but that camp, yeah, and camp Stanley doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. They shut it down, all that stuff. But, you know, I think a lot about what it would be like to go back and check it out, you know, see what's left of Stanley. Walk around one more time, you know, and just look around and, you know, remember what it was like when it was a fully functioning Army installation, you know, in the heart of the Republic of Korea by Weejambu, you know, which was a wonderful town itself. You know, I never – I didn't have any bad experiences in Korea with the natives. I really did not. You know, we had one guy. uh, We were on a train and, you know, the Buddhist religion – it takes pictures very seriously. You don't take pictures of people. So I had a guy one time that got really upset because we took his picture. We didn't mean to. But, you know, he calmed down. He figured out we were Americans. We had a Katusa with us. You know, Katusa is a uh, Korean soldier that's placed with the American Army. 
and we had a Katusa with us, and he explained the situation to the guy, and the guy, you know, was cool. He was still irritated, but he he was cool with it, and um, all that. But you know, nothing but fond memories of Korea. That's where I really, really learned how to be a soldier because you were a forward deployed unit. You know, the war, the Korean War never ended. So if you were in Korea, you're forward deployed. And we, we would get called to alert. You know, we've had the balloons fly over, the propaganda attached to them and all that stuff. You'd go up on the Z and you could hear the loudspeakers with the propaganda going 24 hours a day, seven days a week in Hangul and then in America. Same thing over and over. I mean, it was crazy. And it wasn't that much fun to live, you know, because, again, you're young, you're immature, and, um, you know, and you're worried because we're thinking, you know, this could be the time where we're rolling out and we're actually going to go to war with these guys. And you don't want to go to war because we already knew the numbers. We knew at that point in time when I went there, North Koreans, they're special forces alone. They're equivalent of our Green Berets, Navy SEALs. We're over a million. We only had 32,000 troops on the peninsula at the time. So their special forces are a million. There's 32,000 of us, a div- you know, basically a division size element. Right there, we're, we're, you're nervous to begin with, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, you had the rocks, and the rocks are a hell of a military. Oh, my gosh. I can't say enough good things about the Republic of Korea military. Those guys are squared away. They are tough. They're loyal. Uh, Korea, South Korea is one of the greatest allies we've ever had. And their military is top-notch, tough son of a bitches. You would not want to fight the Republic of Korea. You would not want to do it. It would be a bad thing to do because they would kick your fucking ass. Straight up. Tough men. So we knew we had the Republic of Korea had our back. And we knew that, you know, Japan with the Marines was right across, you know, the sea from us. That would be like our first, you know, reinforcements would be, uh, I think that's 3rd Marine Division over there. That would be our nearest, you know, American reinforcements would be 3rd Mardiv. And you can't you can't knock that, you know. All jokes aside, if I'm in a firefight and I can't have an Army unit backing me up, I'm fine with having the United States Marine Corps back me up. I would be more than fine with that. Again, tough fighting son of a bitches. And, uh, yeah, I respect them. And... You know, you think about all that stuff, though, and you just wonder, you know, where does the time go? It doesn't seem like it's been almost 30 years since I was over there. You know, I'm 45 now. I'm still young, you know, and I feel young most of the time. Mentally, I feel sharp and young. My body tells me different, but, you know, mentally, I still feel young and sharp, and I think about it, I'm like, you know, how great an opportunity did I have? At 17, I joined the Army. By the time I'm 20 or 19, I'm in Korea. Shortly after that, you know, I'd be stationed in Germany. I saw a lot of places along the way, too. We deployed to Egypt during Bright Star in 1997. I got to see Egypt. Got to work with, you know, other branches and all that stuff. It was a great time. Truly blessed, you know, to have had that experience and the people that you meet in the military. My best friends, you know, my very best friends in the world. I can name three civilians that are part of that. Four. 
And then the rest of them have military ties, you know, and it's because we speak a common language. We've been through a lot of the same, and that's not knocking civilians. Everybody goes through stuff, but the military experience is a completely unique one, completely unique, even amongst the branches. If you're, you know, in the Coast Guard, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, uh, I guess the Space Force now. Your experience is going to be different than another branch's experience, you know, because every branch has a different way of doing things, has a different culture to it. But there's a shared culture. You know, you're there because you love your country. That's at the bottom of everything, at least when I was in. Most of us, 90% of us joined because we actually cared about our country. And, yes, there was the fact of having secure employment getting training, getting college and all that stuff. But at the heart of it, it was because we loved our country and wanted to serve. And when you're working around, and you have some idiots in the military just like you do everywhere else, trust me. And when you get in a unit with a bunch of idiots, which will happen, or you get idiot leadership, which will happen, it is the worst job in the world. Because you think you got a rough in your civilian job, in the military, your boss can do whatever he wants to do 24 hours a day, seven days fucking week. He wants to do a fucking room inspection on your ass at 3 o'clock in the fucking morning. Guess what? He can fucking do it. He decides you can't leave post for whatever reason. You know, you pissed him off and he's like, yeah, your boots weren't good enough. Guess what? You don't have a weekend now. You're going to spend this weekend learning again how to do your uniform, how to do this, how to do that. He can do it. Deny your leave, do all that stuff. They can make it a nightmare for you. But when you're in a good unit... There is no better job in the world because you're working with pros. I mean, real pros. And these real pros care about you. And they're working with you. And they're teaching you. You know, and there's that brotherhood, that, you know, esprit de corps. You know, and there's something about wearing that uniform. If you've ever worn it, there's something about looking down at your, you know, right side and seeing that U.S. Army tape. You know, looking over for us at that left sleeve and you see that patch, that unit that you're in. And I served some good units, man. Some good ones. 2nd Infantry Division, 1st Armored Division, some others. You know, and you look at that patch and think of the heritage that patch has. You think of the people who came before you that wore that patch and what they accomplished, you know, wearing that patch. It really makes you up your game. You have to. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to embarrass or shame them or your family or your country. It's just something about it, man. You know, it was a great, great thing. Just phenomenal. You know, the Army gave me so much more than I could ever give it. I mean, the home that I live in right now, the way I pay my bills every month, it's all the Army, man. You know? It gave it to me. I worked for it. Don't get me wrong. I worked my ass off for it. I did what I was supposed to do. And the Army takes care of me now. You know? And and it's a wonderful thing. And I'm going to get off that right now because I know most of you are probably getting bored with this podcast. What the fuck is he talking about? I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling this week. Just kind of rambling. You know, it's raining outside now. When I started this podcast... It was a little bit cloudy, nice and hot outside. Now it's frigging coming down. I mean, it looks like a goddamn hurricane blowing through. So, you know, 
crazy. I got to cut my grass too. Damn it. See, that's when you know you're getting old. When you start, when the first thing you think is, I got to cut my grass. Yeah, you're getting old. Dogs are curled up on their couch asleep. They're so glad this air conditioning is back on. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad this air conditioning is back on. You don't even know. But anyways, I've kind of rambled my way through this podcast. I'm going to come up with a plan for next week's, you know, I just didn't, I don't know. I felt like talking about Korea and the military and stuff today. And I'm glad that, you know, you were here to listen to it. And I hope the story entertained you. I hope that you enjoyed it. You know, again, at Caesar Podcast on Twitter, interesting podcast or interesting stuff podcast at Gmail. Drop me a DM on Twitter. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you guys think. Interact with me. I love interacting with y'all. And as always, be smart, be safe, don't do stupid shit. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.